the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. This month of November, we in America traditionally celebrate two important dates, Thanksgiving, falling on the fourth Thursday, and the kickoff of the Advent or Christmas season, which generally begins on the last Sunday in November. Maybe for some of us, Thanksgiving is a great day to celebrate, but maybe for some of us, it's not really a great day. Perhaps it brings to mind painful thoughts or memories, discouragements, failures, maybe even tragedies. I don't know. In light of the COVID pandemic over the last two years, however, perhaps there won't be one or more family members or friends sitting around your dinner table for this year's wonderful Thanksgiving celebration. In today's special edition, friends, I'd like to focus on and blend together both Thanksgiving and love, because Psalm 100, traditionally read on Thanksgiving Day, does precisely this. In Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5, we read, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And friends, his here refers to Yahweh, the unique covenant name of the God of Israel, the God who enters into a covenantal love relationship with his people, revealed to us in both Old and New Testaments. Here also in verse 5, we get tipped off by our word Lord in caps and small caps in our English Bibles, indicating it's this word, Yahweh. Well, friends, as God God followers and Christ followers, there's always one thing we can be thankful for, no matter how dim things may seem. Our focus for today's program will actually be Psalm 136. I encourage you all to read it in totality, because today I'm going to zero in on just the opening nine verses of this psalm. And my wish and prayer for you, friends, is that these tremendous truths will sink down and soak deep into your soul and lift you up and encourage you as we together ponder, even meditate on the enduring and caring love of our great God. 
It's very likely that this psalm was an antiphonal psalm, meaning that there was a group of people who would either sing or shout a repeated phrase, in this case the phrase, For his faithful love lasts forever. Psalm 136 has 26 verses, and every one has this repeating refrain. As I said, I'll read just the first nine verses. I would also like to call your attention to the fact that the word love in this psalm is the Hebrew. Hebrew word chesed, a rich and all-encompassing word that carries a host of colorful and deep meanings. And let me remind us of several of them. Kindness, kind love, mercy, favor or grace, compassion, generous love, faithful love, inaction, loyal love, covenant love, extending love when it's not deserved, graceful love, steadfast love, tenderness. In fact, friends, in the pre-1611 English translation by Miles Coverdale in 1535, Coverdale coined the word loving kindness, which was then imported into the King James Version Bible some 30 times. Friends, in light of the fact that grace is embedded in this Hebrew word chesed, please don't tell me that grace is not plentiful in the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, as this term appears nearly 250 times and is sprinkled from Genesis to Zechariah. Perhaps you're in your car right now, bustling to get somewhere, or hustling back from somewhere, or maybe you're listening on a mobile device, perhaps even the podcast, whatever it might be. I'm inviting you to just let these divinely inspired words wash over you, pick you up, bless you, and encourage you as our look at the love of God unfolds from an Old Testament hymn writer's point of view. We're not sure this is a Psalm of David, since it doesn't contain a superscription, but let's listen in anyway. And as I read, please don't get lulled by the rhythmic repetition of our key phrase, for his faithful love lasts forever. Also remember that faithful love is just one of many ways to express chesed love in English, as I shared In fact, friends, I'm going to specifically pick nine of the many meanings for faithful love in each of these nine verses to give us all a glimpse of the full and all-encompassing love of God, his chesed. The King James Translation Committee came to realize that it would take over 25 English words to adequately express the full-orbed meaning of chesed. Well, today I'm going to blend two translations together to help in our hearing of the richness of this psalm. Give thanks to Yahweh and let your heart overflow with praise to the Eternal, for He is good, for His faithful love lasts forever. Give thanks to Yahweh and praise the true God who reigns over all other gods for his tender mercies last forever. Give thanks to Yahweh and praise the Lord who reigns over all other lords for his covenant love lasts forever. 
To him who alone does marvelous wonders, for his committed love lasts forever. Who created the heavens with skill and artistry, for his devoted love lasts forever. Who laid out dry land over the waters, for his favor and grace last forever. Who made the great heavenly lights, for his steadfast love lasts forever. The sun to reign by day, for his benevolence lasts forever. The moon and the stars to reign by night, for his kind love, or his loving kindness, lasts forever. Friends, we must also keep in mind that even God's disciplinary measures in our lives, his corrections, if you will, spring from his love, his chesed love. We're reminded of this in Proverbs three eleven and 12, which is then repeated by the author of Hebrews in our New Testament, which says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And the Hebrew writer finishes with endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Did you hear that, friends? The writer of Hebrews refers to God's disciplining love as this word of encouragement. Perhaps the author of Hebrews wanted to make sure that we didn't make any accusations against God, point the finger at him, and say things about him when we're going through tough or challenging times. You know, things like, where are you, God? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? You see, friends, chesed love assures us that God is with us all the time. Chesed love assures us that God loves us all the time. Chesed love assures us that God cares about us all the time. So this is the love that I want us to recognize as we move into the New Testament. For with the exception of possibly one writer, Luke, the New Testament writers were Jewish. And how did these now Jewish believers in Jesus communicate the good news of Jesus being their Messiah and Savior of both their fellow Jews and to the Gentile world, you know, those heathens or pagans among them in the Roman Empire. How might they decide to communicate this chesed love of God, especially to a Greek-speaking audience? Well, friends, here I'll have to give credit to one of my Bible college professors who constantly mentioned to us budding pastors that when we read the New Testament, we need to put on first century sandals. What he meant by that was that we need to see with first century eyes, hear with first century ears, and think with first century minds. Basically, we need to plant our feet in the first century world of the New Testament. So, friends, the Christ followers who became the writers of our New Testament had an interesting task before them, didn't they? How would they communicate the chesed love of God to a Greek audience? Well, how about we begin with some fun facts about the New Testament Greek language? Since I'm Greek, and one of my favorite movies is the original My Big Fat Greek Wedding, I'll briefly play the role of Tula's father, who often said, Give me a wart, and I will show you the Greek origin of that wart. Friends, there's a saying, the Greeks had a word for it. 
And in this case, it's pretty amazing that in the first century Greco-Roman world, there were actually seven different Greek words for our single English word love. If you said to a fellow Greek or Roman back then, I love roasted goat, or I love feta cheese, or I love my neighbor, or I love my children, or I love my wife or husband, the person you said these to would completely understand without question which love you were talking about based on your word choice for love. And this is why today's session is called Thanksgiving and Love Have Kissed Each Other, adapted from Psalm 85.10, where I'm now blending thanksgiving and love, us being thankful for God's chesed love. Because, friends, love has everything to do with it. And more importantly, the biblical words for love have everything to do with it. Now, of the seven Greek words for love in the first century, four were pretty popular in common conversation. But I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament writers singled out three for very good reasons. Of the four, they eliminated the Greek word eros. Eros speaks of physical or sexual love, which in the Roman Empire was totally defiled. It is where we get our English word erotic. In its place, the New Testament writers chose to say sexual immorality or fornication. The remaining three are words you've likely heard in your church, in a sermon, a teaching series, or maybe a small group study. These words are agape, phileo, and storge. I'm going to elaborate on and illustrate them in reverse order. First, storge. It's a word that means family love. In other words, love of parents towards children and children toward parents. It's sometimes referred to as familial love. When a first century dad or mom said, I love you to their daughter or son, the kids knew exactly what their mom and dad meant. Interestingly enough, this word is used only twice in the New Testament and only used in its negative or opposite form, astorgoi. It's found in Romans one thirty one and Second Timothy three three. Let's sample Second Timothy three one through three. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers, phileo, of themselves, lovers, phileo, of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, or without love, or without natural affection, or without kindred affection. Here's our word. And the list of terrible things goes on. But notice how knowing the Greek word for love helps us to properly interpret our English phrase without love. In the end times, friends, it's not just love in general that will deteriorate, but familial love. Parents will lose familial love for their kids, and kids will lose familial love for their parents. No wonder the family unit has completely broken down. Familial love is being trashed right and left in today's culture. Well, second, phileo is a word that means friendship love or brotherly love. This idea is captured in the city named Philadelphia. 
Philadelphia comes from the Greek word for city, and phila comes from the Greek word phileo, and therefore it has the city of brotherly love as its nickname. Just a few instances in the New Testament will suffice for understanding this wonderful word phileo, or friendship love. Take Luke chapter 1, for instance, where Luke introduces his gospel by telling us he initially wrote it for the benefit of a man he addresses as most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Theophilus, what a cool name. In the spirit of Mr. Portocalus in my big fat Greek wedding, I'll say, Theophilus comes from two Greek words, Theo and Phileo. Theo is the Greek word for God, and phileo is the Greek word for the love between friends. So, Theophilus means friend or lover of God. Another instance appears in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Peter remarks, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love, phileo, for each other, love, agape one another, deeply from the heart. Notice here that Peter mentions two Greek words for love, phileo and agape. Agape will be the center of attention shortly. 1 Peter 1.22 first speaks of the affectionate, brotherly friendship love that should exist among and between members of the body of Christ as brothers and sisters in a spiritual family. And secondly, Peter pulls out the big gun, the piece de resistance, if you will, and tells us we should also agape love one another deeply from the heart, or as some translations say, from a pure heart. So this verse begs us to ask the quintessential question. Are we in our churches, in our relationships with other believers, treating each other in a brotherly or sisterly fashion with sincere friendship love? Of course, Peter whips out the other quintessential question for us to think about, but we'll get to that one in our discussion of agape. Friends, once again, I'll need to give credit to that same Bible college professor who taught us budding pastors. He repeatedly told us that the writers of the New Testament reached into their cultural toolbox and lifted out a word that was already in use in their world and elevated it and gave it a loftier meaning than that built a bridge to the gospel. You see, friends, the gospel didn't emerge in a vacuum. The scarlet thread of redemption began way back in Genesis and wove its way all through the Hebrew scriptures, particularly through messianic prophecies and promises to keep individuals that God's word would proclaim to the whole world. Third, and lastly, this incredible word agape, which was not even a Christian word. The classical origin of agape is actually somewhat unclear. Only the verb form appears in Greek literature from the time of the ancient Greek poet Homer, roughly the 800s BC. The noun form appears outside the Bible in a title for the female goddess, Isis, a pagan context. On rare occasions, agape refers to a person favored by a god. In these instances, it carries the meaning of generosity demonstrated by one for the sake of another. Did you hear that, friends? Did you hear favor and generosity there? Hmm, those two qualities are reflected in that unique Hebrew word for love, chesed. Am I allowed to say, oh my God, on Christian radio? 
Agape becomes the perfect word choice available to first century Christ followers, and particularly those whom the Holy Spirit would lead to be writers of our New Testament. Agape is the perfect word and concept to pull out of the disciples' cultural toolbox and carry it to a loftier level than it had in its mere usage in classic Greek literature. Friends, just listen to how this word and concept was converted and transformed into a gospel-centered concept for the disciples of Jesus and all future followers of Jesus. Agape grew to be understood as a love that is given for its own sake, wanting nothing in return, and a love that seeks only and always the absolute best for the other person. I just got to say that again, friends. Agape, a formerly pagan word, was sanctified and sanctioned by the Holy Spirit to communicate the idea that this particular kind of love is now understood to mean a love that is given for its own sake, wanting nothing in return, and a love that seeks only and always the absolute best for the other person. This is precisely what undeserved favor is. Friends, meeting the expectations of this kind of love can really become overwhelming, can it? But we must realize that we are not the source of God's love. We are the channels. We're not manufacturers. We are the distributors. And Scripture encourages us by counseling us that we can actually grow in agape love. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 tells us in part, We urge you, brothers and sisters, excel still more in agape love. Friends, love alone is the energizing force for expanding the kingdom of God and the sole motivation for reaching out to a dying world, one soul at a time. Let's recall Jesus' words in John thirteen thirty four. The world would know that you are my disciples by the agape love that you have one for another. I've nicknamed this verse the poster child verse for friendship evangelism. And so, friends, the nugget of truth I believe that's here for us to grasp onto is this. Agape love describes the highest form of love that God has and demonstrates towards us and is the same kind of love that God desires we have and demonstrate towards others. And the good news is that the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the agape love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Wow, that really encourages me, friends, to know that I can keep growing in this kind of love and that it will be supplied to me by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, Earnestly pursue agape love. And this phrase in the original New Testament Greek is much stronger. It's a hunting term and carries the meaning of aggressively chasing after, like a hunter pursuing a catch, hunting it down. This agape love appears in several lists in the New Testament letters that motivates us, us to pursue godly things such as 1 Timothy 6.11, flee from ungodly things you may you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godless, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Second Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with, with who, those that call on the Lord with a pure heart. 
First John chapter 4, verse 16 says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Friends, I've shared this in sermons, and I'll share this with you, that we've already nearing the end of the year. Yes, 2022 is coming to a close shortly, isn't it? I wonder if we can say that we've loved people more this year than we've done last year, 2021. And if we anticipate that in the new year, 2023, we'll strive to love more than we've done this year. It's certainly something to think about, isn't it, friends? I wonder, come January, will one of our New Year's resolutions be to love people more than we did in the previous year? I wonder if you'd be willing to say amen. Because, friends, I'm going to say amen. (laughs) Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program, which will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback on today's or any previous programs you've listened to or from a Word from the Words podcast archives. One of our faithful podcast listeners recently wrote in regarding the Halloween special I shared last time with this feedback. As always, an interesting take. Living in an apartment complex, we usually never get trick-or-treaters. If they came, they'd be warmly received. I feel the kids have no agenda other than to have fun. In a world where kids are forced to grow up before their time, I say let them enjoy the day. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts. And remember, friends, podcasts of today's session and any previous sessions may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts and then scroll to A Word from the Word. Podcasts are posted in latest date order. You may also access a word from the word on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And please share this program and these podcasts with friends and family. And friends, a word from the word is a listener-supported program. So if these programs are blessing and edifying you, please consider financially helping to keep a word from the word on the air. Just email me for the details. And a special thanks goes out to those of you who have been and are continuing to faithfully help support these teachings you hear each week on A Word from the Word. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And always remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, Email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 